It's time for Dodger baseball. The sports department at WFUV and the history behind it are a story largely untold. That is, until now. The voices that have shaped the student-run station for the last seven decades dive into their time at Rose Hill. This is the Off the Air Podcast, the legacy of WFUV Sports. It's episode three of the Off the Air Podcast. Emmanuel Barbari joined by Nick DeLuca. And Nick, a special guest this week, Mike Watts. He's one of the younger WFUV sports alums doing big things in the industry right now. And we're excited to get his perspective on not only what drove him at FUV, but what he's done since and how he stayed a step ahead in his young career. Yeah, Mike's resume is extremely impressive. And he, I think, is going to be a fantastic conversation. 2014 Marty Glickman winner and has gone on to do soccer, which is not something that we've seen out of a lot of the WFUV alumni, but doing soccer in the USL and getting an opportunity to call uh, games in the CONCACAF and then on to NFL preseason as the youngest uh, play-by-play player person to have an opportunity to do that and and just to hear his perspective on all those unique experiences is going to be incredible. And I almost view Mike as someone who never takes his foot off the gas pedal. We talked to a couple of really driven guests in our first two episodes. And Dan Duva, the radio voice of the Vegas Golden Knights, a WFUV sports alum. Another alum, Justin Shackle, who's the scoreboard and digital host for the Yankees. And both of those are perfect examples of people who never stop diligently striving to improve their craft. Mike, I almost feel like, was going 120 miles an hour from day one. And that's why I'm really, really excited to hear his perspective on not only FUV now, but what it was when he was there and also how it shaped him in his young career. Absolutely. And I think that that's one of the best ways to get ahead in this business is working as hard as you can and doing as much as you can in as small amount of time as possible. Mike, I know at one point told a story about working 38 games in 31 days and it's just the constant work and continuing to evaluate what you're doing and the continued continued desire to improve is something that is really impressive I know from Mike and excited to get his perspective on that and and something we've seen from all our WFUV alums. So Nick without further ado let's learn a little bit more about the third guest on the Off the Air podcast Mike Watts. This week on Off the Air Mike Watts, a WFUV alum in the class of 2015 and 2014 recipient of the Marty Glickman Award, Mike worked as a beat reporter and play-by-play broadcaster, covering six sports, including football, basketball, and soccer, while also hosting WFUV's one-on-one. Following his graduation, Watts served as the voice of the USL at just 22 years old and has since mixed in work as the voice of major CONCACAF events, Champions League finals, and the 2019 Gold Cup final, and additionally as a play-by-play voice for the NYCFC on Yes, Chicago Fire on CSN, and Philadelphia Union on TCN. Away from the pitch, she has served as a play-by-play broadcaster of college basketball, baseball, and football on ESPN, and a public address announcer for Madison Square Garden. 
Most recently, Mike was named the youngest preseason play-by-play voice in the NFL, calling games for the Cincinnati Bengals since 2018. Here's the Off the Air podcast with Mike Watts. It, uh, it's it's going to be a little odd because um, I finished the Big East tournament uh, as the public address announcer in, in the second week of March. And you kind of go, okay, am I going to work at all this year? Um, all the people who put that event together, um, you know, you wonder the same for them. I mean, a lot of people, sports is not just a game. It, it's very much kind of a, a lifeblood you know, way of, of making a living. So naturally there was some concern at that point. I'm, I'm lucky that I'm going to start working here at the end of the month and uh, long may it continue safely and hope that everyone can can keep building on this momentum and, and we can get back to, to life, you know, normally as safely and as quickly as possible. I know Emmanuel had a chance to talk to Dan Duva and Justin Shackle and they talked about you know, listening back to old tapes, trying to draw examples from other broadcasters that they see on reruns on TV. Is there something you've been doing consistently to try and get better? Yeah, I've spent a good amount of time reaching out really to, to producers I, I don't know, coordinating producers and what are you looking for? What do you like? Um, how do you sort of describe traits that transcend one individual broadcaster into uh you know all the good announcers you've worked with what what are the commonalities so i've spent some time on that i've, I've re-watched a, a few of my old games which is a difficult experience as any announcer would know that's not my idea of a good time but you know manage that and then you know uh ohio state um miami uh was on espn a few weeks ago and listening to keith jackson um, you know, Bob Costas doing the 97 World Series, um, you know, those things really helped me better kind of perfect my craft watching those guys as good as they are, were, um, how they did it, and maybe try and translate little things to me um, and pick up some of the best of and, and whatever I can, can pick up on. Mike, you mentioned coordinating producers, and they have to juggle a lot during this time as to how they're going to bring their productions back to the same sort of quality they had before the pandemic hit. You have some experience calling games from a remote setting. What insight can you lend into how different that is than being there on game day, talking to coaches, being there as the game unfolds? Yeah, I mean, what you mentioned right there is I think what a lot of people don't understand outside of our business, how much you pick up. I mean, if I do a, a game for SEC Network, I'll go downstairs, check the field, it, as small as that feels um, in the grand scheme. But, you know, how's it playing? Go talk to both the coaches, usually the SIDs milling around down there. So maybe one or two last questions and things that you kind of want to double check or you, know, you want to find out one more piece of information on a certain player or a statistic that was in the notes or, or whatever it may be. So you lose some of that stuff. You lose the ability to see the full field, which depending on the sport is more or less relevant in soccer. It's so expansive that you're not going to get all 22 players unless it's, you know, a, 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 a corner at the very end of the game where the goalkeeper comes up. But otherwise you're never going to see all 22 much less, you know, really good grip on on formations and tactics. So that stuff is a little more difficult. But in the grand scheme, 
you know, TV has come such a long way. I mean, I talk with announcers who've been doing this for 30 years where it used to be in standard definition and, you know, I mean, try doing a broadcast remotely that way. So in, in you know, the overall, do you lose some, some maybe connection to the game? Maybe a little bit, but I think it's a skill, just like calling a, a specific sport. Being able to do Remy is a, is a skill, and it's one that I think gradually is becoming more and more important in our industry just because of, of cost cutting and how expansive it's become. So it's just part of the game now, and, and I've kind of gotten used to it. Do you think it's going to be a really difficult adjustment for some people who haven't done it for a long time or who have been entrenched in being at the games, you're at every event, and if you're an old school kind of person, because I know Major League Baseball has discussed, right, if you are an away announcer, you're not going to be allowed to travel with the team. Now, there's a whole host of issues. How about let's just get Major League Baseball back in the first place? But do you think that that's going to be an issue with some guys who aren't really used to that, a, a big adjustment? Yeah, I no, I mean, I think people who have been doing this for – you know, the first people who come to mind are are uh, Sterling and Waldman in New York. That's the first thing that comes to my mind. And I can't imagine they've done much, if any, ever, Remy. So all this stuff you pick up going into the locker room and being on team flights, and I mean, that's all going to go away. But can they still cognitively call a baseball game? I'm confident that they can. You know, I hope that people in positions to make decisions recognize how much is lost they can still do the job but i'm sure they would be the first to say we aren't quite able to do it the way we used to and and you lose something with that but you know just to give you an an idea you know the first remy i ever did was a soccer match and i had the same team week one and week two of that season and I, i call the game i get out i feel like i did a pretty decent job and i wanted to go read what the coach said leading into week two and it said you know, the captain of this team was sent off for a red card in the 30th minute. I didn't know that, and I called the game. So I missed that they were playing with 10 men for 60 minutes (laughs) because the camera never showed it. The camera never showed the red card being given. It shows a kid eating a hot dog. It's, you know, the guy getting up, you know, rubbing his head. I didn't even see him leave the field. So, well, that's a, you know, really – you know, almost to the point of, of a joke, how far that, that missed, um, that stuff does happen. You miss little things that you'd otherwise see. It, it's just part of the deal. So I, I've gotten used to it. And I think the big thing, anyone who's never done a Remy, describe what you see. Don't assume what's not there it is, is the biggest thing that I think gets lost in translation. But like I said, 22 are never in a picture. How was I supposed to know this guy got sent off? So Remy's can be hit and miss, but large in part, I've found it hasn't affected my ability to to literally do the job. Mike, you spoke about reaching out to people. You doing all you do at your age certainly speaks to how you've been able to stay one step ahead of the game, per se. How much does that span back to your college days, and how much did that help you early on coming out of school? Yeah, I mean, it's huge, and – I, I want to say it was Dan Duva who came into an FUV seminar and said, you know, if I don't get a call from you, then I'm going to assume you don't care about the industry or something to that effect where it's like, you should be networking with guys like Dan Duva 
or, you know, Mike Yam or Andrew Bogish or people in different areas of our of our sphere who are on air. So I just named a host, an update anchor, and a play-by-play guy. But you should also be networking with the people who aren't on air and can help either guide what you do or maybe more importantly, help you find a job. I mean, at, at Fordham, there was a, uh, a another seminar. Bob Costas had won the... Uh, Vin Scully Award, and the guy who was going to, you know, give the speech at the dinner introducing him came to give a talk at Fordham. Well, it wasn't actually him who helped me. It was a buddy he brought with him because they were going to start teaching a class at Queens College. So Michael Cohen has done World Cups and Olympics. If I had skipped that like I had planned to, to be entirely frank, I had a test the following period. I mean, talk about my whole career would be different. I mean, the connections he's helped me make, the, the games he's helped me do. I, I mean, I don't even know if I'm still in the industry at, at this point because I, I don't know if I would have stuck around. So, uh, I mean, networking from the jump is everything, and I'm not perfect at it. Nobody is, but you, you want to meet as many people as you can and talk shop with as many people as you can because you learn more and you also make those connections that make a huge difference when you're actually trying to get into the field once you leave school. When you walk on Fordham's campus for the first time, was WFUV and broadcasting something that was on your radar in the college decision process? Yeah. uh, I only applied to three schools. I got... (laughs) My fiance is going to love watching this back. I got waitlisted at Boston College. Um, I got into BU and I applied to Fordham. So I grew up in Cleveland. My plan was to go to the East Coast. And my plan was always to get a finance degree. And I I did do that. And I interned in that field. Uh, But I I went there and I had made some media guides while I was in high school. And I was doing this a little bit in high school. And I brought the media guides and brought them to Joe DeBerry and Scott Kwiatkowski. And I think Andrew O'Connell. Uh, was still a student at that time, so he wasn't in that office. It may have been Mike Balestra, but I brought him in, and, hey, I want to work with you guys. And they said, oh, we don't do the broadcast. Go to FUV. Well, I meet Bob and uh, Bob Aarons, and, I mean, he he goes, oh, here's what we do. We travel to these games. You're going to be credentialed for all these teams. And, oh, yeah, we have all these, you know, meetings where you meet great, you know, producers and announcers. And he said Doc Emmerich, and at the time, I'm a huge Penguins fan. I'm watching Stanley Cup after Stanley Cup of Doc Emmerich calling these games. I'm like, oh, my gosh, Doc, this is incredible. Um, Three years later, I would meet Doc, and he actually signed a photo of himself for me and another one for my best friend because I was so enamored with him that I wanted to prove that, like, I had met Doc. So he he pulls out, you know, a silver Sharpie and some photos and, and gets on with it, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I knew it's kind of what I wanted to do. I didn't know quite how great FUV was when I initially went and, and looked around there. But, I mean, once it started getting explained to me, I'm like, yeah, I, I, don't, need to, I don't need to go back to Boston. I'm good. Once you arrive at FUV, you, if you want to pursue play-by-play, you start doing demos and you start getting the reps and you try to fine-tune your craft – you climb up to the roof of Jack Coffee Field for a soccer demo with Bob Ahrens. What transpires there, Mike? <laughs> okay, so we're off and running. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so I had met Bob 
going into this, I had met him when I visited the school, and then I had sent him a couple of tapes, and I thought I was pretty self-critical and, and what I wanted out of myself and what I thought was a good broadcast. And, of course, when you're 17, 18 years old, you really don't know. But we didn't go to the top of the press box. We went to the, to the side box uh, where the coaches sit during football games. So Scott Kwiatkowski is calling the game next door. I can hear him, so I know I'm mispronouncing game, names and everything. But within 10 seconds of, of starting this broadcast, when you're 18, you want to sound like an announcer. So I go, and here we are at Jack Coffee Field in the Bronx. And he, he hits stop and he goes, uh, Michael, that's not you. Who's that, Michael? I don't know, Bob. It's how I've been doing this the last few years. So, you know, he's like trying to get me to sound like myself. He didn't let me jump right on air, which is what I had hoped for. I just assumed, okay, I'm probably good enough. I've done it before. And it was probably half a year before I even got to do the soccer matches. Um, and I didn't do a football game till midway through my sophomore year. But yeah, that was a real wake up call. And in hindsight, the 40th anniversary of one-on-one -on -one dinner, I was sitting with a couple of fairly prominent FUV alums and I was asked about that experience on video. And I go, I called my mom that night and I'm crying and I made the wrong decision. And Bob is a dictator. And the two guys look at me and they go, Bob's a dictator. That's hilarious. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, it, 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 it started rocky. But, I mean, you want to talk about a guy who's going to build up your confidence and build up your skill set. Bob's your man. So you have the interaction with Bob. How long did it take you to get on air eventually at Fordham? And then did your workings with Bob at least make you feel confident that you're ready to go when the opportunity came? Yeah, I mean – I, I, that's probably more soccer than he's ever listened to since the Cosmos were a thing and, and Pele was playing in New York, in New Jersey. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, we, we went through a bunch of tapes. I mean, I even went to Columbia to go demo a soccer match because uh, there weren't enough being played at home in non-conference because I wanted to call the conference games. I mean, we had a great goalkeeper that year. Ryan Marrow ended up playing for the Red Bulls. He's still there and, and was one of the best rookies in the league his rookie year. But, um, you know, he was a senior at the time. So I was just trying to get, you know, a chance to call games for a team that was really good. Uh, it, it probably took half that season. I was demoing football games every weekend. I was doing mock one-on-ones, uh, like once or twice a week with a group of guys. Um, that went in um gosh i mean you know we were trying so hard to, to get in the mix and he was pretty steadfast hey we're gonna wait till sophomore year and i think it was week two or week three of sophomore year i got to call fordham at columbia which was a huge game at the time um uh, you know it, it's it, it's pretty remarkable in hindsight you know he, he he kept the leash on long enough and then he knew when it was time and when he knew it was time that meant i knew it was time so credit to him because i was i was not an easy one to hold on to you mentioned how much you and your classmates wanted to break through and and get in the mix who are some of those key characters you shared the experience with and how did they inspire you during your time at fordham Oh, gosh. Uh, the funny thing is, is I'm going to leave out, I, we probably had 40 or 50 people on staff while I was there. So I'm going to leave out a ton of people and that doesn't feel good. But uh, inspiration wise, I mean, Kyle Kessis was was really good as an upperclassman. And I looked up to him. 
Um, I thought Alex Smith called a really good game, and he's he's now been in social media for the Eagles and, and for SNY for a while. Um, you know, th- there were a lot of guys early on where I'm kind of like, okay, that's where I, I want to be. But even in my own class or the year ahead of me, I mean, Chris Morasco, I thought, called a really good game. Um, DJ Sixsmith and I, I think, always had kind of an unspoken understanding that, like, there were only so many games to go around. And obviously he's really talented and he's working with CBS now. And, you know, obviously I thought I was pretty good at it. Um, So, I mean, DJ made me strive to be better because I thought he was also very good and I still do. Um, And then there's all the guys who maybe weren't in play-by-play who I just really enjoyed being around. I mean, Eric Malo, uh, Nick Legerfo was my color guy for for football for all those years. Uh, Kenny Ducey. Uh, Jake Kring Schreifels has become a good friend since we graduated and, and has stayed kind of around the business as a writer. So I, you know, there, there's a bunch of guys who, you know, I, I really, you know, thought pushed me, but there was one get together we had at the end of my freshman year where, you know, we all kind of got together to salute our seniors. And one of these seniors actually said, Hey, just so you know, you're never going to make it. <laughs> Uh, you know, I don't know if you think you're going to work on national TV someday, but it, it ain't going to happen. And I was kind of <laughs> like perplexed by that. I, I didn't, we didn't have a negative relationship and I, I still, we still tweet back and forth from time to time, but it was like, whoa. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the FUV crew, I mean, I still count a lot of those guys. I mean, they are, you know, some of my best friends in this business. I mean, like Meryl Servant, I wish she had stayed in this business because she was so great as a producer, but you know, she had better options. So she, she left the business and, you know, there's a bunch of other people. Kelly Coltis is writing outside of sports now. And I, I, I always thought she was a really good beat reporter. I mean, it goes on and on. So perhaps I'm the wrong person to be asking this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. 2014 Marty Glickman winner. I, I, maybe Emmanuel should take this one. What did that winning that award mean to you and what does it mean to you now looking back on it yeah um juniors haven't really won that award all that much which only raises the bar that Emmanuel has said over the last couple of years that that he's been in that mix um you know to a certain extent there's an element of you know big fish small pond it's, it's not you know the national sportscaster of the year or whatever but I mean it's got Marty's name on it so it didn't matter I mean, it, it, and, and the relationship Bob had with Marty and the people who voted on it were so significant in the industry. So if you impressed them, okay, maybe you've got a shot at this. And um, I, I, going into that night, I really didn't think I was going to win it. Um, it, it. It is funny. I've talked to some people since then who saw me walking up and I was like so shocked that I did win it that I wasn't smiling or anything. Because <laughs> uh, there were four or five guys, Mac Rosenberg, Chris Marasco, uh, Kenny, uh, DJ, were all up for it the same year. I mean, I, I imagine it was probably a pretty tight vote. Um, yeah, I mean, it still means a lot to me. The trophy's still, you know, in, in my office. Um, it, it, and it's not going anywhere. Bob's always said it should be the first line on your resume, which, uh, you know, uh, I think says a lot to what it means to him, but yeah, it meant a lot to me and it still does. I, I will say, however, 
I graduated early my senior year. I, I had credits, you know, to, to finish and why pay the money, right? Um, but they didn't let me apply for it a second time. So I'm still a little salty that I, I <laughs> that I couldn't try and win it a second time because it, it was so infrequent that anyone had won it twice. But that's okay. I don't have room on the mantle. Those trophies are huge. <laughs> yeah. Emmanuel, yeah. those things are enormous. I don't know how your mantle must be packed. They're gigantic, and <laughs> I, I credit Bob completely for that beautiful design he made. It's a very good-looking award. Oh, yeah. To bounce off what you said, you walk up that stage in front of the entire Fordham athletic community. I don't think I remember one second from what I said up on that podium. They, or... didn't, they didn't let us speak back then. Okay. We didn't get to talk. I wanted to give a speech. I wanted to be like, to Stephanie Gately, you are my muse. <laughs> to Joe Moorhead, <laughs> Vince Lombardi reincarnated. Thank you. Um, but they didn't give me any time. They're like, this thing's moving on a little too quick. Uh, let's just let's get rid of this guy. I, you know, it's I, I meandered up there. I'm sure if I grabbed the mic, they wouldn't have yanked me off. But no, I, I, I went up there. I took a picture with Bob. I still have that picture with Bob. And that was it. It was over. Special moment for sure. And you talked about the panel of whether it's industry executives or broadcasters who kind of give you that vote of confidence that, hey, maybe there's a chance you could end up doing it in this business. Who were some of those mentors at FUV who gave you that vote of confidence that, that kept you looking towards what you potentially could be down the line? Yeah, the alumni and, and the people who came in, those kind of folks. Yeah. Yeah, uh, too many to count. I, I, I mean, and I, I really, I'm sure they look back and, and think I'm a pest uh, to an extent, and that's probably deserved, but uh, Ryan Rucco listened to so many tapes. Spiro Didis listened to so many tapes. Andrew Bogish uh, has been so good to me. Mike Yam, um, Mike Breen has been uh, tremendous. I mean, he's, he's such a great guy. Um, you know, people who came into the workshops, I mentioned Mike Cohen uh, earlier, who's not a Fordham alum, but has taken an interest in me as a Fordham guy. Uh, Steve Shear, uh, who's a producer at Fox, has been phenomenal. Uh, you know, what I noticed is I never ran into a WFUV alum who did not personally want to help me continue the, the legacy of that station to help me attain my dreams when they themselves had already achieved a lot of those dreams. Um, you know, it, the, the credit for that goes, I think, to an extent to the education that we receive. It, I, I went to a Jesuit school on purpose. I went to a Jesuit high school. I, I genuinely believe that that's in the ethos of the university. It, it goes to Bob, it goes to Marty. And it goes to all the guys who, in the early going, didn't have a Bob or a Marty around. Um, Kay and Breen and Giannone and Carino and, you know, they've, they've all been just outstanding. Everyone I've ever reached out to has, has been nothing but kind. How much you mentioned the alumni and then you also get the opportunity at WFUV to, you know, call the games that you do as you go forward after your freshman year in the demo. And then you get a chance to cover professional sports in a professional setting. How much do you think that that prepared you for what was going to come next? 
in hindsight, I, I almost wish I had taken advantage of it more because I think what people say is largely true. When you walk into the Yankees clubhouse, and I only did that a few times, I, I covered the Red Bulls over the summers. Um, you know, when you when you walk into the Knicks or the Rangers locker room, I mean, it is awe-inspiring. I didn't grow up in New York, so I can't even imagine what people from New York feel. I mean, you know, you've got – is that Rivera behind you on your wall, Nick? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, you, you listen to Ryan Rucco go like, oh, yeah, I walked in and there's the core four. Oh, my God, you know? Uh, so, for me, it, it was still awe-inspiring. I wish I had had a little more confidence in those days getting that first taste of it. But once I was out, I was a little more used to how a press conference works, how open media availability in a, in, a, in a locker room works. I didn't work Giants or Jets, but I, I started working for the Bengals two years ago. And, you know, preseason, you're talking, there's 100 guys in there. And you need to have the confidence to be able to go walk up to Matt Barkley or Andy Dalton or A.J. Green or Tyler Boyd or whatever and go ask real questions that you want answered and, and you know, project your confidence. I mean, that's – it's difficult. It, it, it is as a young announcer, but FUV made it drastically easier for me to experience it, having already been around a pro setup. That that changed that genuinely changed my life. At first, I thought it was just really cool, but in hindsight, that changed my life. At 25 years old, you become a young NFL preseason TV voice, and I'm sure going into that first game, the emotions are overwhelming as to wanting to nail that game, wanting to nail that opportunity. What's the best piece of advice you received from either Bob or, or any mentor leading into that game that helped you stay focused? Um, well, and that was sort of an interesting stretch for me because I didn't think the Bengals job was possible. Um, it took um, Spiro, Ryan, uh, and one of my favorite producers at ESPN, Todd Coolis, you know, once I'd said done some college soccer, the producer reached out to him and said, Hey, you do this too. You know, do you know, Mike, what would you say about him? Um, you know, if those guys hadn't stuck their neck out, then I never would have gotten that opportunity. And I, I dreamed of that opportunity. So, you know, going in, I was so enormously grateful to those people. Um, and, uh, my dad had been sick leading up to that a little bit and, and he's, he's well now, but you know, to be able to have them watch um, meant a lot to me. You know, I was, I was really, you know, fairly worked up about it. I mean, you, you get jacked up for a game like that, but uh, Adam Amin was the second youngest announcer. I was the youngest doing preseason that year. He was doing the bears. We were playing the bears, talking to him, helped me out a little bit. Uh, Anthony Munoz is a, a literal saint. Mike Valpredo was my sideline guy. He was, you know, really good to me. Um, and they just said, go call the game that you're, you know, that, that you got hired for. I mean, Bob, Bob has told me that for years, you know, they hired you for a reason, go out and call the game that they heard you called before. Cause that's, that's enough. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I still remember finishing that game and my best friend from high school, who I started broadcasting with is my spotter. He lives in Cincinnati. And uh, we went down to the field after that game and just the, the relief and the rush 
of, of that whole event. I mean, it was, it was wild and they scored a game winning touchdown with two minutes and change left. And for you, it's the preseason for me, that was the Super Bowl. So I couldn't have been more excited about that. So you get that opportunity. You're finally calling an NFL game. Yeah. It's preseason. And like you said, it was the Super Bowl for you. What are the emotions? Like you walk into the booth you're finally getting the opportunity to do something you've wanted to do for a long time. How do you kind of balance between I'm, I'm nervous. This is, you know, I'm, I'm excited. What's the, what, what's the mix of emotions there? Um, it, it's kind of funny. Cause I landed, I flew in day of for that. I had, um, USL's game of the week for ESPN the night before. So I, I was actually on the back end of, and it's in an article somewhere. I think it's like 38 games in 31 days, which is the other side of the Remy model. You can do two or three in a day and no one knows you. You know, I, I, how did I travel from L.A. to, to Louisville? Who knows? Um, so, uh, you know, I'd flown in that morning. I had gone into the stadium ahead of time because there was some press that wanted to do some interviews. So I went and did that. I, I tried to go back to the hotel and take a nap. I couldn't. So I had at least been to the stadium and I swear I was probably there five hours early, just trying to walk the stadium, get used to my booth. Uh, you know, when you do those reads, you know, uh, going into it, you know, you know, fifth third bank makes, you know, Bengals banking a fifth third better. And you do those reads to try and um, have them out of the way. But for me, it's like, just like get the nerves out when it's on tape as opposed to when I'm actually live. So that helped a little bit as stupid as that sounds doing the ads um taping those ahead of time sort of helped me kind of calm down and find my rhythm but yeah it, it, it's hard because you know i i i naturally i'm i'm nervous in front of people you know i this comes naturally to me to an extent i'm outgoing but in terms of getting on tv and I, my right hand has a bit of a tremor so the mic shakes a little bit i mean you know, those things are just a, a little bit different um, when you, you get especially excited. You know, then you kind of feel that pit in your stomach. I, I did hear Al Michaels leading into that had done an interview where he said, when I do a Super Bowl, all I want to do is get on the air clean in the open. And from there, you're just calling another football game. And that was sort of my mentality going in. You mentioned the USL leading up to that Bengals game, that first NFL game you did. And soccer has been a central piece of your career uh, from the outset. Did, is that something you envisioned early on, calling that much soccer? And what's made that such a such a great sport to be around? Yeah, I hadn't been around soccer until my, uh, I guess it was junior year of high school. I had quit the football team. I wasn't very good. Uh, there is video evidence of that, and I do not publicize it. Um, <laughs> So I had sort of had that, you know, ingrained into me a little bit because my high school team won the, the national championship my senior year, and they had a chance to win a national championship my junior year. So you were around a really great team, and it sort of forced you to go, okay, our, our football team, which had not had a losing season in 30 years, had one. So that was our premier sport. So I focused on that in high school, and I came to Fordham, and – it was right before Joe Moorhead had taken over. Soccer was a, a top seed in the A-10 tournament. They were kind of a premier sport. The first thing I could jump on as a beat reporter was the Red Bulls. So now I'm a MLS beat reporter. So one thing leads to another. And 
it's not what I envisioned in a house that didn't watch soccer growing up. So it's not that this was, you know, I had grown up playing footy on the pitch in, in my boots from the day I was three and EPL every morning. But I think any sports fan can, can watch a game and have an appreciation for the incredible amount of effort that it takes, uh, the skill that it takes. Um, you know, I'm, I'm going to work with USL and NWSL, the, you know, the rest of their respective seasons, being around the U.S. women's national team. And the first game I ever did for ESPN was a U.S. versus France, she believes, cup game in 16. That was my first taste of the big time. 30,000 people in the stadium. Alex Morgan scores in stoppage time to win the game. I mean, all right, here we go. I mean, reigning World Cup champions and, and such. And wow. Uh, so, yeah, uh, pr pretty wild stuff. Uh, it, it wasn't what I envisioned, but I, I've really come to love it. And I can't wait to get back to it. And I, I, I view all these sports... It, it's so lazy to say this that I view them all like my kids where I can't pick a favorite when I know I'm one of five, my parents have a favorite uh, and I ain't it. I'm the soccer. Um, but uh, no, I mean, it's just genuinely, you know, I think there's a, uh, you know, a, a different rhythm to soccer that I hope I don't lose. Cause I, I think it invites you to be more conversational, invites you to converse more genu genuinely with your, with your analyst. And I think it, exposes whether or not you can get up to the big moment in the run of play more than a lot of other sports where it's more orchestrated. So you get to sort of the up to the present day in terms of your journey calling soccer, calling Bengals preseason. If you could go back to the beginning of your time at WFUV, if you could change something, would you? And if you would, what would it be? Whew. Uh, the podcast version of this doesn't have me sitting back in my chair because that one that one knocked me <laughs> off my feet a little bit. Um, I don't know that I would. I think the big thing, and it's always been an issue for me, is I I try and think a couple steps ahead. Um, you know, there there were things that I wanted that weren't logically attainable at the time I wanted them, and I wish I had known that. Um, I just wish I had enjoyed the ride a little bit more. And the, the sad thing is, is, you know, Spiro said that often. Ryan said that often as younger alums who had kind of been through the Bob Aaron's experience and kind of our, our kind of experience at FUV where it's an NPR affiliate and the credential element was already there. I wish in hindsight that I had just taken it day by day more and enjoyed learning a craft because now I'm trying to tweak a craft at that time you know the 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 actual gains that I was making were so much bigger and I wish I could have appreciated that more but in terms of the people I worked with and the games I got to call the playoff games the tournament games I wouldn't have changed a thing I just wish I had been a little better back then Talking about Selkie in the moment, there were some big games you mentioned that you got to call. Is there one that stands out at the top as a favorite road trip or favorite memory? <laughs> uh, it, it's kind of misleading. I mean, like there are funny road trips, like going to St. Bonaventure and the only thing open at the time we got there because we flew separately from the team to not miss class. Matt Morrow and I are rolling into the only Applebee's open in Olean at that time of year. Uh, 
Rhode Island was great. St. Louis, uh, walking with uh, Julian Atienza and Kenny Ducey through Pittsburgh um, late at night and just experiencing that city. Um, you know, a, a couple with Chris Venezia doing soccer, I, I think, stand out to me. Um, gosh, it, 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 San Francisco, gosh, with Eric Malo and uh, and uh, and DJ Sixsmith was was an experience. I had never been at that far west, so that was sort of my first time going out that far. Uh, yeah, I mean, those road trips, you don't that sense of camaraderie. You sort of lose when you stop rooming with people and you know it's much more of a business once you get out of school i mean back then it was just a ball every single time every trip was a was a genuine joy um i wish we'd flown more <laughs> those bus trips i i'm willing to give up now but other than that uh yeah i mean that's I, I, all those a10 cities that we got to be in a lot uh were, were a lot of fun to really explore. I still do that. That's something I learned at FUV. Every time I go on a road trip, I was in Memphis, go to the Civil Rights Museum, go to the best barbecue joint you can find, f experience the city. In ESPN, they call that embrace the place. I'm big on that. I'm, I'm big on embracing the place. USL featured you in an article about a year and a half ago, and it alluded to you finding the broadcasts that are back at Fordham as the, some that you're perhaps more excited about and, and you find more enjoyable. Why is that? Um, a, a lot of the people are, are still there. Uh, Joe DeBerry, uh, Scott Kwiatkowski, Ryan Ulick, um, uh, Steve, Sheila, um, David Bernard Santana, uh, Andrew Bogish. I mean, people you, it, it's like going back to a family event where you don't actually hate your family. It's like the best Thanksgiving dinner of all time. And I actually like my family. So that's kind of a misnomer, but, uh, I think a lot of people would kind of understand that. I mean, I love the school. Uh, I, I want as much success for both basketball programs as, as possible. Um, and going back to take part in their seasons, to tell those stories, to be in the Rose Hill gym again, uh, to run over to uh, Best Deli or over to Michelangelo's after, uh, never, never gets old. Um, it, it, it gives my off-season rhythm, but it also allows me to go see people who I, I really care about and I, I, I've become really good friends with over many years. Mike, before we let you go, kind of looking ahead, what's a way in your mind that WFUV can remain strong and maintain its standard that it's built over so many years? Uh, it's kind of an interesting question because uh, truthfully, I've had uh, maybe a bit of a checkered opinion of how some things have gone at WFUV Sports since I've left. Um, I, I think this is first and foremost, while it is an NPR affiliate, there also needs to be an understanding that there is a mission of this university, uh, of this school. I think the station being on campus plays a large role in that. Uh, going to college, I don't know that I, it would have been affordable for me to move to New York City if I hadn't been on work study. Uh, you know, the ability to go use those studios to you know, work on my skills 
IOWFUV and its many listeners who support the station and the school uh, who in, in ways supports the station, a tremendous debt of gratitude because uh, this career path is literally impossible without it. So, you know, whether it's continuing to fund it appropriately, uh, continuing to give students an opportunity to uh, experience these road trips, experience professional settings. Uh, I, I, Fordham University can thank WFUV for my, my parents and my, my money over four years. Uh, and I genuinely hope that they take uh, a, an effort at continuing to understand its legacy and develop its legacy. And, you know, I think, thank Bobby, uh, Bobby C. And, uh, you know, a lot of the students you guys included have, taking a lot of pride in continuing to bring that along. So I give, I give that group a tremendous amount of credit for continuing to try and live up to the same standard I wanted to live up to, which is from Vin Scully in the long FUV line that follows. Well, Mike, we appreciate you taking the time. We look forward to watching your progression moving forward and best of luck as you get back at it in a couple of weeks. Thanks guys. Appreciate it. Great to talk with Mike Watts on the third episode of the Off the Air podcast. And Nick, some great stories, some great memories. And we've heard so much about Bob Ahrens in the first couple of episodes of the podcast. So many fond memories of someone who really is a transcendent figure when you talk about WFUV sports and the industry in general. And how Bob really kept Mike grounded early on and introduced him, showed him the ropes, really gave him the skill set he needed to succeed, but above all else, just really kept him humbled and ready to go and drove him towards his later success. It's three weeks in and we can see already how much Bob Ahrens has meant to so many of our alums. And I loved the story about Mike starting a demo, the soccer demo, and 10 seconds in, Bob turns it off and says, no, that's not how you talk. And I think that that really just encapsulates everything because in comes Mike Watts who thinks he's really, you know, he, he said it himself. He's, he didn't think he had it all figured out, but he thought he had a good idea, at least enough to complete a Fordham soccer demo. And Bob immediately shuts it down, says he's done. And, and that I think really just encapsulates what Bob Aaron's is and what he meant to Mike and just being a great sounding board and, and telling him, what he wants to hear, telling him what sometimes he doesn't want to hear. And I, I think that his influence is really apparent when you talk to Mike. And I think a lot of us share that sentiment. Regardless of how ahead of the curve you may be, we all share that naivete as we enter WFUV, thinking that we're the next big voice to come through the station. But the sooner, as Mike references, you learn about the people who share the same goals as you and the immense talent of some of these people, and you share those goals with them, it just drives you to really achieve more than you ever would have thought you had to be driven to achieve when you entered the station. And I think that's what makes FUV such a sustainable model is that that, that constant desire to improve and that relationship with your fellow classmates. And it wasn't just him. It was some of his fellow classmates. We asked him about the Glickman Award, and he said, honestly, walking up to receive the award on the stage, I didn't really smile because I didn't expect to win. And I think that that really gets to the heart of what Mike was talking about and what 
makes FUV so special, right? You have all these people who are extremely talented, and it's somewhat competitive if you want to get on the air. And and sometimes that competition is really good, but it's the camaraderie. It is, you know, just being able to bounce ideas off of other people and learn and better your craft and doing all those things that I think really resonates for me about WFUV and certainly uh, was at the heart of what Mike was talking about. And I think a third takeaway is the relationship to the current environment and the amount of remote broadcasts that Mike has already done throughout his career. It's good to hear he will be back at it in a couple of weeks. And Nick, really a twist on the industry now. There already were a lot of remote broadcasts going on, but maybe a wave of the future is calling games maybe not on site as this pandemic has made us think in different ways. And that's certainly a way that young collegiate aspiring broadcasters can get better is the comfort level of calling a game off the monitor and providing that accuracy granted that you do not see everything that's unfolding on the field. For sure. And again, I love the story about, oh, the captain got a red card in the 30th minute and I didn't even know it. And it shows that, you know, the remote broadcasting aspect of this whole pandemic may not be perfect. And There are going to be some growing pains for people who are adjusting, and it's going to be something that I think people who are aspiring broadcasters are going to want to keep an eye on going forward, because I think at the very least, it's something that allows you to differentiate yourself. If something is something that you can have experience with, be comfortable with, and I think for safety reasons, for financial reasons going forward, I think this is going to be something that we will see more often, and it was really interesting to get perspective from somebody who has done this before, because I don't think there are a ton of people who have done it up to this point. So really fun catching up with Mike Watts on the third episode of the Off the Air podcast. If you want to stay in line with the podcast, you can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, and on the online home for WFUV Sports, WFUVsports.org. For Nick DeLuca, Emmanuel Barbari will catch you next time on the Off the Air Podcast.